Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, this month inaugurates the USU, Utah State University, Year of the Arts. And we want to talk about that, talk about the state of the arts in Utah and the United States, and uh, a lot else. And we have with us uh, for the hour uh, Craig Jessup, who is uh, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts at Utah State University, and uh, he's also uh, director of the uh, American Festival Chorus, former director of the Mormon Tackernock Choir, and much else. We'll talk about that. Okay. Dr. Jessup, welcome to the program. Thank, Thank you, Tom. I'm honored to be here. We appreciate you uh, being with us. Uh, and we want to jump in just briefly with the uh, Year of the Arts. Uh, the uh, Sort of the overarching uh, marketing of this, uh, you're calling it Arts Elevate. Arts Elevate. We... Uh, took it off of the Utah tourism theme, Utah, Life Elevated. Mm -hmm. And we actually cleared it with them and spoke with them and have adopted the uh, title Arts Elevate. And I think that's going to stick with the college for many years to come, not just for the celebration of the Year of the Arts. That is a nice takeoff on Arts Elevated. In this case, you're, you're, it's, it's a verb, right? It's, that's uh, right. It's a present tense verb. It's, it's a active. Active that arts uh, elevate. Now, you're you know lifelong participant in the arts. I am. So you're going to believe that arts elevate. What's the uh, what's your elevator pitch to those who, who are a little skeptical about the arts? <laughs> well, can you imagine a single day without the arts touching your life in some way? I think many people are totally unconscious, but any visual the image that they look at, be it television, be it their iPad, their iPhone. This is all the work of a graphic artist. Uh, listening, can you imagine not having any music in your life? And again, w whether it be tele television or radio or you're recording your iPad, your iPod, uh, or making music yourself or uh, attending a movie without a beautiful score behind it. Uh, I... I think probably the arts impact our lives as much as any kind of uh, discipline out there, uh, as much as science or technology impact our lives. And in fact, science and technology deliver the arts to us. And we as a nation and uh, as a world population are consumers of the arts. That message sometimes does not get through, especially in the K through 12. Uh, what do you talk about that? Some say we need to get people into jobs, reading, writing, arithmetic. Uh, we agree totally, completely. And I think more and more people are realizing that our best thinkers are those who are very broad-minded and have uh, learned how to collaborate and cooperate and think out of the box. That's why we're very uh, pro collaborating with all the other disciplines, and I'm finding more and more they're reaching out to the arts as well for those creative thinking patterns and the ability to work in teams, which the arts require a great deal. Hmm. I'll talk a bit about funding uh, for the arts. Uh, of course, been the news, uh, President Trump's uh, proposed budget, we'll see where it goes, Of course, uh, would uh, severely um, reduce or eliminate uh, National Endowment for the Arts. That's correct. Uh, the truth is the actual amount of the endowment, National Endowment for the Arts is minuscule in comparison to other uh, agencies of the government. And it would severely, yes, it would hurt a great deal as small as that amount is 
uh, it has an impact in our communities. But the United States of America has never been known for uh, supporting the arts, not like the Europeans. I lived in Germany for four years. Oh, my gosh, the every little burg has a symphony, a ballet, an opera company, jo- not just the major mo- metropolitan areas. And most of those are subsidized by the government for the arts. So we as a nation have, by and large, relied on private funding and the passion and energy of the artists themselves uh, to support the arts. So would it hurt us if the National Endowment for the Arts could go away? Absolutely. There would be an impact. But would it eliminate the arts in our community? No. Uh, we're very fortunate in the state of Utah in that it's a very culturally minded state and per capita one of the richest states in almost an embarrassment of riches in the arts in our communities and even more so Cache Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as densely rich in the arts as any area you could find anywhere in this nation, mm-hmm. unusually rich in arts. Uh, I, I wonder... Why that is? So, so you know, Utah, I, and I, I agree with your point. Um, embarrassment of riches, uh, well, culture I, that supports I, the arts. I, I think culturally, uh, the Mormon pioneers who came to these valleys valued the arts, and uh, some of the first public buildings erected in the state of Utah was the, a playhouse, the Salt Lake Playhouse. And I'm told that there are more pianos and harps and violins per capita in this state than any other state in the Union. So the culture itself has always been rich in the arts, and I mean all of the arts, the visual arts, the dramatic arts, the uh, musical arts. Uh, we've been very, very rich in all, uh, in all areas. And then Cache Valley, you add to that natural um, cultural desire for arts to improve the quality of life, you add to that a university, and then you've doubled uh, the uh, uh, exposure to the arts and the uh, priority that the arts are placed in people's lives. And we have been blessed in this valley with patrons who have been incredibly generous. Uh, The Kane College of the Arts is named after George and Marie Eccles Kane who he was the first head of agriculture for the old AC, the Agricultural College of Utah, which became Utah State University. Maria Eccles, the Eccles family, have always been passionate about the arts, and that family's legacy alone has been phenomenal for Cache Valley and for the state of Utah. Mm. So we have this natural uh, desire for arts in our lives as a culture, and we have the university and everything involved in that that uh, double the emphasis on the arts. I'd like to take us back to funding. You, you know, mentioned funding, the, the Eccles, uh, yeah. you know, uh, fund Keynes, uh, uh, helped to fund uh, the college in this case. So you said there's, uh, there's a difference in the U.S. versus Europe in terms of government uh, stepping in. Yeah. So then it has to be private donors, has to be patrons, it has right. to be, uh, you know, some of it's ticket sales, although that uh, doesn't, for most forms of the art, Tickets cover it. never, never fully subsidize any art form. People think that 
it does, but it does not. Yeah. I, I, I uh, was recalling the statistics for opera, for example, a pretty expensive art form. That's Probably uh, ticket the sales most are, expensive. Ticket sales are very small percentage of that. So uh, then it does rely on, I guess, rich people, uh, other people stepping yeah. up, and, and I don't know, where does the funding come from? Well, absolutely. There are those who are very have been very blessed in their lives and their families or their businesses who also have a thil- philanthropic uh mission of giving back to the community that's been so generous to them and that is a significant impact on the arts but i also want to say that the widow's might is in, as important as the rich man's uh generosity in that all on every uh pocketbook uh amount Every every donation counts and helps contribute towards the arts. Being involved with the King College of the Arts, I'm just a- amazed at the generosity of our community, of our alumni, of their families. And one of their passions is scholarships to help train the new artists of the future. Uh, it's uh, a, a very humbling to me to see the commitment people have for the education of our youth and in particular the education of our young up-and-coming artists. Mm. Yes, for the buildings, that's important as well. But I'm really, really amazed at the generosity of people towards the education of our future artists. Mm. So um, I wonder your response to this. Some cynics say that, um, you know, we... we sort of prop up the arts. We we like the idea that the arts are there. A lot of people never go to many of the productions. Some small subset like the fact that they're there. It makes them feel good about the community, the, mm-hmm. the state, the nation. But that it's sort of, sort of an add-on. It's not essential to the community. Well, yes. <laughs> I, I think there are, I would say, Tom, a minority of people who feel that way. Um For example, when we started the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, our very first ever performance back in November 11th of 2008 was a Veterans Day concert. We had to turn people away. It was a free concert, and they knew immediately that we were here to service our community. And I've been so overwhelmed uh, with the response to the American Festival Chorus and uh, what it has meant in the lives of many people in this community and also for those who participate in the chorus it's filled a real niche in their lives as well Um, I I don't know that you would ever 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 please everyone but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone as I said at the very beginning whose lives are not impacted on a daily if not an hourly basis by the arts they're simply not aware of the influence on the arts in their lives. Mm. When you program a season, as as you do with American Festival of Chorus, yeah. you got a lot of decisions. You, you want it financially viable. You want to uh, make it uh, uh, an enriching part of the community. Yeah. Um, I guess you you also have voices that are telling you to, to go in a more purist direction, right? Oh, yeah. So, you you know, they, they want more Britain War Requiem and, right. and less of the pop stuff. How, right. how do you navigate all of that? So uh, I learned very early in my career 
and it was in my Air Force career, that it was important to uh, have a broad view of the musical world. And because I was in the Air Force band, the shadow of Glenn Miller loomed very, very high. Now, granted, this was a jazz big band pop musician, but he was one of the world's great musicians on his trombone. And his programming adage was something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. (laughs) And I find that works in the classical or the popular musical world, that if you narrow yourself uh, to just a small segment of the society, and some people have the luxury of doing that, and I don't fault them at all. But I think for the the positions I've been in, I've had to be very broad-minded in looking. And quite frankly, as a musician, I've loved it. I I love doing uh, the Gershwin, the uh, Irving Berlin, the Jerome Kern, the Rodgers and Hammerstein. I love country music. And then I love the Benjamin Britten War Requiem and the Bach B minor Mass. I don't know why you should be restricted to to one area. And I find in my uh, world, the really great musicians I've been around have also been very eclectic and very, very open. So in programming a season, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. And we've tried to do that, and it's been very successful. We've had some sellout uh, concerts every season. Even uh, we ended our season this year with uh, the American composer Morton Lauridsen, and it was a sellout. Mm -hmm. And people came trusting us, Mm -hmm. some with real reservations about an, an entire evening of serious choral music. And many went away saying, Craig, it was the best concert of the season. We loved it. It was an extraordinary night. You had the composer there. Yeah. Lauritsen was there with us, yeah. and we show little excerpts from his uh, film uh, that I think enhanced it as well. Yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a multimedia. Evening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I became director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, uh, President Gordon B. Hinckley, who uh, called me to the position, his instructions still burn in my ears. Craig, it must be the highest exponent of the choral art in all the land, but the choir must always sing to the people. Mm. What good is having a great choir if nobody wants to listen to it? Mm. And he was spot on. Mm. He was spot on. So on Music and the Spoken Word, you'll hear a masterwork of Handel or Haydn or Bach or Mendelssohn, and then you'll hear a folk song of Down by the Old Mill Stream, and then you'll hear Climb Every Mountain of Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein. Mm. There surely should be something for everyone at some place in your offerings. That's been a tension, I guess, from the earliest uh, art, right? It's, it's high, you, you're striving for the highest, uh, which can tend to be exclusive, but you also want to... You want to give the Be heard. You want to give the highest craftsmanship and performance you possibly can, and good and great literature as well, uh, delivered in the most professional way you can do. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I, I have arguments every once in a while with purists, um, and but I tell them I, you know, I, I love the Verdi Requiem. I've been to a performance by your group. Yeah, I love Bar J Wranglers. Exactly. What, why should you be exclusive to one or the other? And and I don't criticize or fault them. Uh, certainly, they can have their 
their choices. And I, I have many friends who are that way and do incredibly excellent work. But I've, I've, I would prefer to be open to the entire palette. That's not to say that I'm not discriminating. There are definitely, definitely things that I do not uh, particularly care for. Although I have to say, I was in New York City last week and was fortunate enough to get a ticket to Hamilton. Mm. Now, I never thought I would like rap. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is one of the most electric, theatrical, Broadway musical experiences I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. And here it is, American history presented in the most uh, unique way. I couldn't believe it. It was fabulous. So I've even changed my mind on rap, provided the lyrics are good. <laughs> Now, a purist will, the fear, I think, from purists who countered the argument that the, everything's out there and you can choose what you want to go to, they would maybe counter by saying that uh, if if too many people go to too many productions that, they, in their view, are not in the in the, in the highest, uh, you know, category, that perhaps we'll lose that. You know, there's there's not a, you know, they would say there's n- not a lot of uh, new Puccinis out there if you keep it in. In opera, or or are there? Well, I I certainly they're entitled to their opinion, but I think there is room at the table for everyone. And I also feel my experience: the cream will rise to the top. The very finest of the artists and the music will rise for the top. And I think we're living in a golden age, artistically with regard to composition, performance in all areas. I would I would not call us in a famine period at all in the arts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it is a truism that you, you have to wait 100 years, right, to see. Who who will be to, the judge? To see what, yeah, yeah, exactly. If there is a revival of Hamilton 100 years from now, we'll know, and I'm willing to bet there will be. I saw a revival recently on Broadway of uh, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's The King and I uh, at Lincoln Center with Kelly O'Hara, who incidentally we're bringing here for their grand uh, reopening of the Chase Fine Arts Center. I was in tears from the minute the overture started. The beauty of that music, the orchestration, the uh, poignancy of the lyrics, I I believe that'll be around in 100 years and perhaps 200 years as well. This is just, uh, before we go to break, just a kind of a random uh, question popped in my head that I I have asked a, a conductor too. Um, your backs to the audience. Yeah, do you do you feel the energy? Because totally. energy is different oh, night to night. Oh, oh, totally. I I I know exactly how the concert's being received by what I feel going on behind me. It's uncanny how uh, I, I, it takes time. I think experience on the podium. There's no question. You can tell exactly how it's being received by the energy that's in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry, I interviewed Henry Holt. He, he, he yes. came several times to Utah Festival Opera. Yeah. Uh, now, now passed on. Um, he told me, I think, for that reason, the energy in the room. He would rather listen to a live recording than a than yeah. a studio recording any day. You know, despite the quality of the studio recording. Yeah, I I would agree. I I think um, it's real. It's authentic. Where. Uh, a studio recording or even a recording session in a beautiful hall like Carnegie Hall that's been heavily edited 
is giving you a performance ultimately that never actually happened in real time. It's uh, every flaw has been fixed, every blemish has been erased and edited out, and you do get this flawless, almost unrealistic performance. Mm. Let's take a, a brief break. When we come back, we'll have more with uh, Craig Jessup. He is uh, uh, Dean of the Kane College of the Arts at Utah State University, a director of the American Festival Chorus, former director of the uh, Mormon Tabernacle Choir. We'll talk about a little bit about the Year of the Arts. Exciting uh, Year of the Arts is coming up this academic year, uh, in fact, starting this month, June, and uh, going into September of uh, next year, and that's uh, university-wide. We'll talk about uh, an exciting concert coming up as well, the U.S. Air Force Singing Sergeant's 2017 Reunion be happening in That's right. Logan. We're hosting it here. More following this break. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have uh, with us Craig Jessup. You'll uh, uh, recognize his name probably from Mormon Tabernacle Choir. He spent several years as the director there. Uh, he was in the Air Force, uh, directing various musical groups there. And he's currently uh, the director of the American Festival Chorus and dean of the Kane College of the Arts. Uh, so, Dr. Jessup, um, let's talk a little bit about the Year of the Arts. Um, this is a year-long event, series of events. It is. At, at Utah State University. So, technically, uh, it's actually going to be an 18-month celebration 18 months. of the arts. We just couldn't cram it all into one year. So, let me give a little background over the past four years, uh, we've been very fortunate to receive the generosity of many donors, uh, some, of wish, some of whom wish to be anonymous, for a complete renovation of the Chain Ar- of Chase Fine Arts Center. When I was a high school senior, October of 1967, October the 18th, I attended the opening of the Chase Fine Arts Center. This October 18th will be the 50th anniversary of the Chase Fine Arts Center, and we will celebrate a complete renovation of this glorious facility that has been such a vital part of our artistic community in the Valley. Uh, Donors will be recognized and honored at that time. This was with the great help of two university presidents, President Stan Albrecht, who initially had the vision and the dream to create a College of the Arts, and then the support to renovate our existing facilities. When I came, I wanted to build a new concert hall. Well, a new concert hall starts at $50 million. And Stan very wisely says, Craig, I'm a pragmatist. Could we take what we have now and could we improve it rather than starting over? And I said, you know what? Absolutely, we can do that. And so some $26 million later, the vast majority of which were private donations from a variety of sponsors, we have a new concert hall. It'll be renamed the Newell and Jean Danes Concert Hall. A a new atrium, a new foyer to the to the Danes Concert Hall and the Morgan Theater, totally renovated uh, Tippett's Art Gallery, a new courtyard, an extension of the scene shop and the costume shop for the uh, theater department. And uh, in addition to all of that, this uh, Katie Lee Coven has been working very hard for an 
a new addition to the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art. So in total, with the museum and with the Chase Fine Arts Center, uh, this fall we'll open a whole new uh, renovated venue for our public. And we'll celebrate it officially 50 years to the day, October 18 of this year. Now, because of that, we proposed to President Stan Albrecht and uh, and subsequently President Noel Cockett that we declare this the year of the arts at Utah State. They loved it. They grabbed on it. And it's not just a King College of the Arts celebration of the arts. It's a Utah State University celebration of the arts. Our whole purpose is to celebrate the university's, university's renewed commitment to the arts in northern Utah that was envisioned with the founding of the King College of the Arts. Utah State's ongoing support of public education by including K-12 through students and their families as audience members and participants. The connections that the arts have with each of the academic colleges on campus with special events to celebrate the work of our colleagues from other different uh, disciplines. Community par partnerships with organizations such as the Utah Festival Opera and Music Theater, which for the 2017-18 will mark their 25th anniversary, the Cash Children's Choir, which are celebrating their 30th anniversary, and the American Festival Chorus, which, believe it or not, is celebrating our 10th anniversary. 10th anniversary, wow. 10th anniversary. The reopening of the Tippett's Galleries, the Morgan Theater and Costumes and Scene Shops, the New Courtyard, and the renaming of the Concert Hall. All of this. And then we're bringing in world-renowned artists like Kelly O'Hara, who's Tony Award-winning uh, Broadway singer and actor, is coming in. Uh, we open officially with uh, last weekend with the 50th anniversary of the Old Lyric Repertory Company. Renee and I were there Friday or Saturday night for the opening of the complete works of William Shakespeare, Abridged and Revised. And we had a marvelous time. And their season, each weekend now, a new show will open this coming weekend, is Big River. Uh, and we will conclude in the fall of 2018 by bringing the American uh, outdoor sculptor Patrick Doherty, who works with natural materials, reeds and sticks and brush, and creates these fanciful uh, sculptures that you can actually walk through or be a part of. And uh, he's a genius. I'd ask anyone to just Google Patrick Doherty and mm -hmm. see the work that he'll do. And he'll be coming to Logan to erect one of these, one of his famous outdoor sculptures. And I'm looking at uh, the, some pictures of his sculptures. Uh, by the way, uh, his uh, his website stickwork.net. Um, they're made out of sticks, right? They're made they're out of sticks. <laughs> so they so they don't last forever. No, they, they last they last about two years. Mm -hmm. And then they go back to the elements. Yeah, interesting. So he's one of the artists coming, and many others. And you can go to a website for the King College of the Arts for uh, for the the complete list. Um, that'll be exciting. That's that's uh, kicking off this month and going through October of uh, of uh, September, October next year. Right? That's correct. And there's every department uh, in the King College of the Arts will have their own season with outstanding guest artists. There'll be symposium. There'll be a special symposium that Laura Gelfand from the Department of Art is putting together about the role of the arts and its impact on social uh, situations and uh, taking on tough 
social needs and using the arts as a vehicle to address uh, great needs in our society. Yeah, that's, that does sound exciting. And you'll hear uh, once a month on Access Utah, you'll hear examples here of, wonderful. of, of the wonderful work that's uh, going on. So I'm looking forward to those conversations. I want to talk a bit about the U.S. Air Force Singing Sergeants Reunion, and that will get us into I do want to spend some time uh, having you tell me some stories from sure. your interesting uh, travels. Sure. Uh, so you, you led the Singing foreign, Sergeants. I'm a former member. director of the Air Force Singing Sergeants. So I'm an Aggie alum and graduated from here in 1973. Uh, my freshman year was the fall of 68, and we all had draft numbers then because Vietnam was rolling, and my draft number was 32. Hmm. And I was, so the higher, course, the higher the number, the more likely you The more likely you would not be drafted. You would not be drafted. The okay. lower the number, the more assured Okay. You would be drafted. so. Thirty-two is pretty close to you're, being drafted. You're okay. definitely because generally I think they would go up to about one twenty, one fifty, and um, I did not mind. I, I I had no objection at all to serving my country, uh, but I very much wanted to serve, uh, finish my degree. So one way I could do both was enroll in ROTC. Ultimately commissioned an officer in the Air Force as an admin officer. However, the war ended, and I only had to do 90 days active duty. And so I did my 90 days, and I thought, that's it. It'll never be, uh, I probably won't have to do any other service. Five years later, as I'm completing my doctorate in California, I got a call from the Air Force band inviting me to audition for the Air Force, director of the Air Force Singing Sergeants. And I had never heard of them. I said the singing what? I thought these were probably guys who fix airplanes during the day and get together <laughs> with a couple of beers and sing at night. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was assured, no, this is a full-time um, professional choir, men and women, and quite remarkable. And the call came from Michael Bankhead from Providence, Utah, who is four years older than me, and also a graduate of Utah State, he was the deputy commander. Well, that one phone call changed my life. I went back and took the audition. Colonel Arnold D. Gabriel was commander of the Air Force Band. He's what John Philip Sousa is, what Sousa is to the Marine Corps Band, Gabriel is to the Air Force Band. Mm. And uh, I passed the audition, and they offered me the job. I never dreamed of a military career, but I was already a second lieutenant, and so they activated my commission, and I took it. And nothing prepared me for the rest of my life better than my years in the Air Force Band. I had the Air Force Singing Sergeants for seven and a half years. Fourteen men, fourteen women, toured all 50 states of the Union, 28 different countries, made several recordings. That's where I started working with guest artists like Walter Cronkite, Roberta Peters, Oscar the Grouch and Big Bird, Mr. Rogers, uh, Victor Borga, uh, classic artists, pop artists, Western artists, dramatic artists, broadcasting artists, uh, in, in singing performances in DAR Constitution Hall on the Mall in Washington, D.C. It was a fabulous experience with some of the finest musicians I've ever known or worked with. Mm. So ultimately, I had the Air Force Band of Europe in Germany and the Strategic Air Command Band 
and I'm a choir guy. That's what my training was. And I always had choirs wherever I wa- was. And then the Tabernacle Choir invited me to uh, come and become the associate and then ultimately the director of the choir. And that, at that point, I was at a position to retire from the Air Force. So over the years, the singing, I've stayed very close to them. And about every five years, they have a reunion of former members and, if possible, current members. But the current members are so busy, they can't get away. And uh, this time, I was asked what I consider hosting the reunion in Logan at Utah State. And I thought, why not? We have everything we need here, great facilities, uh, great conferences and workshops uh, to help organize it. And I have, as my personal assistant, uh, Elaine Olson, who uh, can get more hay in the barn than anyone I know. <laughs> yeah, she's great. And we uh, are hosting it. It'll be this weekend. They arrive on Thursday, rehearse Thursday and Friday. We'll give a concert in the Kane Performance Hall at 7.30 Saturday evening. And I hope it's packed. $10 a seat. And we will do things that we did in entertaining our troops around and uh, that were written by arranged by Michael Davis, Chief Master Sergeant Retired Michael Davis. Everything we do will be an arrangement of Mike's, and he's phenomenal. Mike will be here. Colonel Gabriel is 92. Colonel Gabriel is coming to the reunion, and he'll be conducting as well, as as will a couple of other former directors of the singing sergeants. So if you want a fun, incredibly entertaining evening, uh, Come Saturday night to the Kane Performance Hall, 7.30, and enjoy the reunion of the retired members of the Air Force Singing Sergeants. Oh, it's wonderful. That's, that's something to look forward to. Uh, we want to go to another break. Before that, I want to have you tell me that, uh, anything else stands out from time in the Air Force. I know you told me you, you performed at the Berlin Wall, I believe. We right? did. So my my first real important uh, gig in Washington, D.C. was for President Jimmy Carter. He was celebrating the first anniversary of the Egyptian-Israeli peace treaty. He was hosting Menachem, Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat. And to entertain was the United States Air Force Singing Sergeants and the Marine Corps Symphony. So I am conducting Aaron Copeland's arrangement of Shall We Gather of the River, and President Carter, with Begin on one side and Sadat on the other, walked down that beautiful long hallway from the state dining room to the state ballroom. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is not Kansas, Dorothy, <laughs> to be there. And it was shortly after that that uh, Sadat was assassinated by his own people. That was my welcome to Washington, D.C. Uh, remarkable. And then I had the Air Force Band of Europe and from 87 to 91, when the Berlin Wall fell, yes, we played many concerts in Berlin. And in fact, we played at the reunification ceremony with Chancellor Helmut Kohl and President George Bush Sr. in the great city of Mainz. And here we are up on the stand, your Air Force Band of Europe and these two great world leaders at this historic moment in the history of the world. That's just the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. of the experiences mm-hmm. I had. Yeah, incredible opportunity. Yeah. 
Let's take another break. We're talking with uh, Craig Jessup, who is a director of the American Festival Chorus. He's dean of the Kane College of the Arts at Utah State University, former director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, as we've been uh, talking about, former member of the Air Force. He uh, directed several bands uh, over several years, quite a few years. Including my reserve time, I had 20 years and retired as a lieutenant colonel. We're talking about the uh, Year of the Arts at Utah State University and many other things. We'll hear some more stories from Dr. Jessup when we return. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Our final segment now with uh, Craig Jessup, uh, former director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, uh, former uh, director of uh, several Air Force bands, and uh, current director of the American Festival Chorus and uh, the dean of the Kane College of the Arts. And we're talking about the Year of the Arts at Utah State University, which kicks off this month, runs through September of next year. And uh, the U.S. Air Force Singing Sergeants activities is coming up this weekend. Tell us again when the concert is. Saturday evening, the Kane Performance Hall on the campus of Utah State University, 7.30 p.m., and a bargain at $10 a ticket. All right. Dr. Jess, a former uh, director of the Air Force Singing Sergeants, and so uh, they're gathering this year. uh, And these are retired singing sergeants. These are retired. This is not the current group. And our oldest member is in his 80s. Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, this will not be those young, sleek, 20-years-olds. That These are some of us old duffers who still like to do it. Right. The current singing sergeant's too busy to come. They are. They have a very busy performing and, and schedule. Um, so let's pick up your story, Dr. Jessup. Um, I, and I wanted to, before I get to Mormon Tabernacle Choir, I want to take you back to your time as a singer, your baritone. I was. You sang with some famous ensembles. I did. I, I I always loved singing from the time I was a boy. And like I say, I graduated from Skyview High School here in the Valley in Utah State. But throughout my career, I had the opportunity of singing with Helmut Rilling in, at, in the Oregon Bach Festival Chorus, with John Rutter in a uh, Cambridge Choral Studies Seminar in England, uh, I sang for 10 years in the Robert Shaw Festival Singers, which was probably one of the single greatest training and preparatory experiences in my life as a choral director. There was simply no one like Robert Shaw. And it was the last 10 years of his life. We would spend the month of July in France, where we would uh, prepare two or three different programs, perform them in the most beautiful Gothic, medieval Gothic churches in southern France, and then we'd spend a week every January in Carnegie Hall in New York City preparing repertoire, and then we'd make recordings. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, someone says, Craig, you've lived enough for 10 people. <laughs> and I, I, looking back, I have to say, uh, it, yes, I've been incredibly blessed with incredible opportunities. you have any stories about uh, Shaw or Rudder? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you'll have to turn me off. Yeah. Robert Shaw is a true genius. There was no one like him. I've never met anyone like him. And he had, I've often said he had one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. Uh, he was really a passionate and in many ways torn individual. He could take you to the highest heights of artistic excellence and spirituality. And he also uh, wrestled with some demons of his own which he was professional enough to never bring into the rehearsal. 
but we all knew that he had some conflict some conflicting elements in his life which i think is the human condition i know very few people who don't uh we were doing performances of the B minor Mass at uh, St. Stephen's Cathedral in Toulouse, France. I had brought, the, uh, with for that particular summer, the winds, brass, and percussion were from the Air Force Band of Europe, and the strings came from Ohio State University. My timpanist, Earl Hassan, was playing timpani. Uh, he was normally, the, the normal timpanist's father had died, he couldn't go. Earl was the big band set player, but he played timpani all the time. Sure, I mean, it's three or four pitches, what could go wrong? First three performances went great, but in Toulouse, at the very final movement in the Dona Nobis Pacem, Earl Hassan comes in one measure early <laughs> for the Dona Nobis Pacem. Mr. Shaw didn't look at Earl, he looked at me. And I hadn't gotten out of the chancel. Then his associate, Nola Frink from Atlanta, came up and said, Major Jessup, Mr. Shaw would like to see you. <laughs> I, he took, she took me to his dressing room. I knew my life was over. He grabbed me by both cheeks and put his nose against mine and said, Craig, we're going to save his soul. <laughs> And the next day, Earl, Mr. Shaw, and me went four hours early to the next site. He always had to set his own stage, and he had to personally set every chair. And then we rehearsed every cue of every piece. And then he changed my place in the choir, so I stood right next to Earl. Needless to say, it was a flawless performance, <laughs> and it was flawless the rest of the night. Mm. When it was over, he looked at me, and he gave me a great big wink. Mm. Uh, he taught me a lot. He was uncompromising for excellence, but he never forgot that people make it happen. And he had, though he had a small tolerance level for uh people who weren't committed to excellence, he nevertheless gave people always a second chance. He knew uh, Earl and I were both totally committed. And I learned a really valuable lesson in uh, in uh, striving for excellence and at the same time realizing you are working with human beings who occasionally fail. Mm. Uh, it, was a, it was a great experience. Mm. John Rutter, who's still a very good friend, Corey Evans, and Lynn Thomas of our music faculty and I were in England uh, two years ago during Holy Week, the week of Easter, and w we were invited to John Rutter's home for dinner. Uh, he's, he's such a gentle genius and uh, an amazing composer without saying, and he has ears that just don't quit. Uh, he's an excellent conductor, but it's not his conducting technique that makes him so great. It's his ears. He hears everything. He can fix anything just like that. He hears things that just flew over my head. Um, he is also, like Shaw, a genius in what he does. Hmm. I want to talk. We just have uh, maybe five minutes left. I want to talk about the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Yeah. That's where a lot of people will have, will have uh, come to know you. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder about that call. You get a call from a leader of the church? Or, or, uh, uh, the, president of the, the, choir. the president of the oh, choir. The president of the choir, okay. W Wendell Smoot called me. And the choir uh, 
functions right under the first presidency. So you have to know I was a former member of the Tabernacle Choir. I, I got in the choir in 1973, the spring that I graduated from USU, sang in the choir for four years, sang with Richard Condy. He's the one who brought me into the choir his last year, sang with Jay Welch when he became director of the choir, and sang with Gerald Otley for the first two years. So I knew uh, Richard Condy, Jay Welch, Gerald Otley, and I also knew Jay Spencer Cornwall, who was the director of the choir prior to Richard Condy, who lived in my same stake in Salt Lake City. I uh, knew Alexander Schreiner as well. Uh, knowing those uh, great musicians and being around them influenced me a great deal. And during the Otley years, I also did uh, solos with the choir as a baritone soloist. So I had great relationships with the choir. And as I went on for my doctorate and and then my career in the Air Force, I just stayed close to the choir through the years. In fact, the Air Force Band and Singing Sergeants did a concert with the Tabernacle Choir while they were on tour CBS Sony recorded the concert that's still selling under the the Sony label. Um, And when I had the Air Force Band in at Offutt Air Force Base, I also brought the band out and we performed with them. So I always stayed close with the choir. Uh, I was quite surprised to be invited without the band to conduct the choir. In hindsight, I realized it was an audition. Mm. And then Wendell Smoot, uh, when I came out, took me to lunch and said, Craig, you've been identified as a potential new associate director of the choir, but I, before we go any further, I need to know if you are interested. And I said, oh, absolutely. So long story short, uh, about a year later, I was uh, interviewed by President Gordon B. Hinckley and uh, called to the tap choir and served four years as the associate director of the choir and nine years as the music director of the choir. Do you have maybe a story you could tell us? Anything that stands out from those? Oh my gosh, you know, uh, I've said often, and and some have thought it was a rather mundane comparison, but I don't know of a better one. It's like taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. The experiences come so quick. Uh, I, it's often you would never couldn't remember what you'd done because you're always looking forward. But I would say, um, therefore, the creation, building, and opening of the conference center, the start of the PBS yearly television broadcast, the creation of the orchestra at Temple Square, the creation of the bells on Temple Square, the creation of our own recording label, the MTC recording label, and then working with artists like Angela Lansbury, Walter Cronkite, Renee Fleming, Audra McDonald, uh, Frederica von Stade, uh, Peter Graves. Uh, those were incredible experiences. I'd written for the opening of the conference center, I wanted Angela Lansbury, wrote to her, she turned us down. And then I invite her again the next year, which was 2001, and she turned me down. Then 9-11 hit. And a week after 9-11, I got a phone call, and uh, I answered the phone, and she said, Dr. Jessup. I recognized her voice immediately, Angela Lansbury. I even thought Jessica Fletcher. (laughs) 
And she said, uh, did you get my letter? And I said, yes, and we're so disappointed. She said, would you do me a great favor? Would you tear it up? <laughs> I said, yes, of course. She said, you know, I wanted to come last year, but I'm an actress who sings. Uh, I'm not a singer. And I said, oh, Miss Lansbury, I disagree. She said, well, what would I sing? What would you have me do? And I said, how about we need a little Christmas from Mame? <laughs> As I recall, you got a Tony Award for that. <laughs> well, yes, I guess I could sing that. How about uh, Nothing's Gonna Harm You from Sweeney Todd? I think you also got a Tony for that as well. Well, do you think they'd like to hear that? Yes, of course they would. How about Beauty and the Beast from the Disney film Beauty and the Beast, which I think also got a, 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 an Academy Award as Best Song of the Year? Well, yes, I guess we could do those things. <laughs> Uh, she said, after 9-11 happened, I just wanted so much to do something for the country. I wanted to be a part of the healing of our nation. And that's why she called me. That's just one of of many incredible, incredible experiences. Mm. Well, that's wonderful. We are out of time. And uh, then, of course, you went on to found the American Festival Chorus, and they still do great work. Thank work, you. Work here. Yep. Our 10th anniversary Canada. season coming up. And part of that, we're going to take a trip to England next summer, summer of 18, and sing in the great Ely Cathedral in London, in Coventry, and Stratford-on-Avon. So we're quite excited about this as well. So just one more plug for this: the, the U.S. Air Force Singing Sergeants 2017 reunion. Yes, Saturday night. This Saturday, June 24th at 7.30 p.m. in the Kane Performance Hall at Utah State University. Come and have a ball. And it's the USU uh, Year of the Arts beginning this month, uh, extending through September of 2018. More information at yearofthearts.usu.edu. Uh, That's correct. And the uh, theme is Arts Elevate. Arts Elevate. We've had with us uh, this hour of Access Utah, Craig Jessup, who is the current Dean of the Kane College of the Arts at USU and Director of the American Festival Chorus. So Dr. Jessup, pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thanks for listening to Access Utah.